Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Booyah! Welcome to Booyah. the Investories Podcast. Oh, give away the surprise, Kyle. With me oh, is... Sorry. I'm John Hooper. With me is my co-host. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Kyle Robertson. Where have you been, Kyle? Man, I've been everywhere. We we had family vacation. Well, it wasn't family vacation. It was it was anniversary <laughs> vacation. We left the kids at home, but we uh, we headed over the pond and to your old neck of the woods, Europe. Not, not specifically the UK, but uh, yeah, we went over to... to to France for a bit, and then we moved down to Northern Africa to uh, Morocco, and which was incredible. It's my new favorite place in cool the entire place. world, and I loved it. If anybody's listening, you get a chance to do some traveling, you've got to go check out Morocco. We went to Marrakesh, and I could talk for three hours about how cool that place was. Did you go to the sushi bar with the big stalks flying next to it? I did. And it's full of Westerners all getting in and just going, oh, finally I can have a beer. So you talked, <laughs> you talked about the sushi bar and we stayed at a Riyadh and uh, a Riyadh is like an old palace, 300 years old, only has five rooms inside of it. And I asked the guy, one of the hosts at the Riyadh about the sushi place. And he's like, sushi, I don't know. Sushi? What's sushi? And I, <laughs> so no, I didn't, I didn't get to go to a sushi place. But, oh yeah. man. Yeah. It's, it's a cool, it's a cool spot. It's a crazy, crazy city. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so chaotic. And, it's it, the people, the people were so amazingly friendly. Like I, it was just, it, we, we felt like we were local. Well, we didn't feel like we were locals, but we felt like we were welcomed <laughs> by all the locals. You know, it, it, it's a very different culture over there and everybody was so welcoming. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was wonderful. Well, while you've been away, investories have been, uh, St- staying on the steady keel. I was going to say expanding. Yeah, we. <laughs> I figured it would have blown up since I wasn't here anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, there was a spike in the numbers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, one thing we have grown on is YouTube, and that's despite my terrible uploading videos. Uh, it's a lot of effort for me. I am trying to outsource it. I promise. Um, but <laughs> if you appreciate the effort and you're listening to this, please do jump on our channel. There's a link in the the show notes. Uh, give us a follow, like, subscribe, that kind of stuff. Um, we're we're really trying to monetize, and that helps us get to a monetization kind of position. And I think, Kyle, I'm going to give it some thought, and we're going to do a promotion to try and get our YouTube subscribers up hey, and our hours up. And I it's cool. It. You get to see our faces. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing. Yeah. You get to see how much Kyle's beard has grown in the last uh, few weeks. All that good stuff. Yeah, so it's time for a trimming, anyways. But you know, John's right. You know, the monetization piece—it's it's important because it allows us to continue bringing this stuff. You know, we we can get some really class A type of, of uh, uh, guests that come on here, and it gets our it gets our name out there for more people to be able to to take in the content that we're trying to bring them. And uh, so those five star reviews really do, do increase our our exposure and. When people search for things like real estate or investing or money and stuff like that on these different platforms, the more that we get interaction from our listeners, it allows us to uh, reflect higher in those those search results. So we really appreciate everybody uh, supporting us and, and please keep that up. And that leads us to today's uh, today's 
episode which is kind of different right kyle's really our guest but we do also have a guest in trevor uh trevor Pruitt, uh who knows kyle from from the gym right but just is getting yeah. into his real estate journey like so many of our listeners and this is so interesting because trevor's come on he's asked some questions the episode's coming up and it's a real deep dive into what are the questions you want to ask Kyle or any of our guests? Do you want to come on and ask people questions? Do you want to ask a syndicator questions? Do you want to ask uh, a arbitrage expert or someone in the financial space? Reach out to us. Podcast, uh, investoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can connect with us and ask us some questions and come on the show. And I'm, I'm super excited about this kind of uh opportunity Kyle what do you think absolutely no I love it and and think about it you know this is almost like a an impromptu mentorship even if it's for an hour long if you if you want to ask a particular industry expert certain questions you can do it here on this show we'll bring the expert and we'll also bring you and we can have a big old powwow right here where everybody gets to ask questions and learn from one another and all you got to do is just reach out to us and we'd be happy to bring you on as a guest you don't have to be a, a real estate expert to ask these questions in fact we would assume that you're probably not if you've got all of these questions for somebody who is. So please reach out and, and we'd be happy to, to walk you through that and, and connect you with somebody that can get all your. So what are we talking about today? So Trevor, uh, Trevor's a good buddy of mine. We met like, shoot, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, just briefly through a mutual friend and, and never really connected since then until about a year ago, I, I uh, joined a new gym and Trevor was there and we kind of reconnected and, and, here just this week, Trevor said, Hey, you know, can we, can we go out and, and have a chat about real estate? Cause he's a real estate broker, but he wants to get into real estate investing specifically. And he wanted to talk about markets and he wanted to ask how you identify them, how you underwrite them to figure out if this is someplace that you want to invest. And, and uh, strangely enough, John, you and I were talking about these things in text message. And I thought, you know, why not just bring Trevor on and he can ask all of his questions on air. And we can just have a three-way discussion about how you identify and underwrite markets. And, and uh, I, I think it went really well. Trevor's a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to being a good real estate investor or a good real estate broker. And he's trying to expand that investor knowledge. And, and uh, so it was, it was great to be able to have the chat. And I think everybody will get, get a lot out of this. Yeah, there's some really cool nuggets in this conversation, um, specifically around the things you may not think about when you're selecting a market, uh, not just the kind of obvious stuff. Um, there's a lot of good content and, and kind of resources around where to find data and how to kind of work that data. And then also how to leverage personal relationships uh, to validate data and a ton on um, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So stick around Who for that. Thought, right? <laughs> It's really cool. We're actually, we and we'll get into that, but we're going to, we're going to have Trevor back on just to discuss. This is investories. We're not exclusive to real estate, even though that's the lion's share of the episodes that we, that we in, where we talk about that in the episodes, but he, he has this really cool business of, of in the collectibles market that I know nothing about. And so I'm super excited to, in a future episode, not this one, but in a future episode where we'll, we'll kind of hammer that stuff out. Cause I want to learn. It's pretty cool. And without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Investories Podcast. I am co-host Kyle Robertson, and John Cooper is here with me, the host. He was gracious enough. We're doing the intro now. Are we, what are we supposed to be doing? You... I thought you were just going to introduce Trevor. We're keeping this in. <laughs> it would have sounded fine if you didn't interrupt me, John. Jeez. Yeah, no, okay. bad production. Well, yeah, John's here too, obviously. So, um, <laughs> But we want to introduce a good buddy of mine by the name of Trevor Pruitt. 
Uh, Trevor, I've known here. I've known how long have we known each other for quite a while, but we haven't really got to know each other yeah. except for about the last year at the gym. Uh, we go to the gym together and we started talking shop and real estate and uh, Trevor had some questions about stuff. So we figured we'd bring him on the podcast and, and have him ask his questions live because, you know, you know how, how the elementary school teachers would always say, ask your questions because somebody else in the crowd is going to have the same ones. So we figured we'd go ahead and bring him on for a Q&A session. Uh, we want to talk real estate and talk markets. Uh, and so welcome, Trevor. If you wouldn't mind giving, uh, you know, the crowd, the the listeners, a kind of a quick background on you and, and what you do and and uh, we'll kind of jump into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Trevor Pruitt. I have been into real estate just over a year now. I'm a licensed real estate agent in Oregon, but I also have a past experience of small business in the collectibles market for about 17 years now I've been doing it. And then that's been my mainstream of income my entire adult life. And then I started to diversify into real estate in the past year as more of like a side hobby, but also that's something I really want to look into invest investment into because I want to create more of a passive income and be able to retire before the age of 50, ideally. Absolutely. Yeah, Love cool. that. Hey, we're kindred spirits on that, Trevor. Trevor, what um, what collectibles? I, I, uh, my profession is in Magic the Gathering and Pokemon cards. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Oh, that's okay, cool. So he's, he's playing it down a little bit. I'll tell you something about Trevor that he's not going to tell you. This guy has traveled the world doing this. Yeah. So this isn't just like you go to your local shop and trade some cards and hope that you get something valuable. Trevor is like the go-to guy about these types of collectibles. I mean, what, like, what kind of places have you been to, Trevor? What, where have you gone? Um, I've traveled everywhere from Tokyo to Amsterdam to Paris to Mexico City, Vancouver, Toronto. I think I've been to 42 of 50 states in the U.S. now. So pretty much everywhere. We focus on arbitrage to secondary markets to pretty much everything you can really think of. Wait, there's arbitrage or magic gathering cards? It's very, very big. Well, Kyle, I think this is an episode. I I think you're right. (laughs) See, Trevor and I have never really gotten into the the nuts and bolts of this type of stuff, but we could make an hour long episode just on this stuff. Yeah. This is, this is pretty interesting. What is arbitrage in the collectibles market? In the collectibles market so in the United States, uh, casual play. So like you and I, if we picked up a game and played, it'd be very casual, something to do. You drink a few beers, hang out, play with your friends. But in other countries such as like Europe or Tokyo, it's definitely more of a very a competitive market. So they only want cards that are focused around a competitive play while casual play is has no real value. So you can go to these other countries, buy the casual cards for very, very cheap, and then bring them back to the United States and sell them. And it goes vice versa. So you could take your competitive cards and they'll pay more there. So then you basically just have effective arbitrage over and over again. That is super interesting. Yeah. Mine, it's mine. like a, this is, this is perfect for investories, right? So I, yeah. I mean, can somebody make a real living off of doing something like this? Obviously, you've been doing it for 17 years. Has this been your primary source of income? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can make it as much as you want. Like, you could absolutely kill yourself flying all over the world. And you could probably make yourself a good couple million dollars over the course of four or five years pretty easily. Or you could do it passively and you can make probably anywhere between forty to $50,000 a year working 10 to 15 hours a week if you know what you're doing. 
That's crazy. I've got this, this image in my head of like flying to Cambodia and going into some dusty basement with like these big old jacked Cambodians coming out of the back, you know, just like a, like a mob movie or something like that. Do you ever have anything like that happen to you? Nothing to that extreme because most people in my industry aren't just very well reversed and like (laughs) I'm usually the bigger person of the crowd. So, Oh yeah. Right. It it helps to have size. Yeah. Is that why you go to the gym, uh, Trevor? Yeah, I just like it now. Like, I've been across it for three years now about, and it's, it's just really fun. Made a lot of good friends. It is definitely a community. I, I've made a lot of friends in the in the CrossFit world, and, and uh, yeah, that's something I'm going to try to stick to for the rest of my life, if I can do it, as long as my body will hold out. The injuries when you get when you get into your forties is uh, that gets that gets interesting. But it trains you well for especially for business because you get used to accomplishing hard things, and you think yeah. the tasks in business are usually challenging. So you have to kind of push forward through bad times, through down markets, through bad things that just don't make a ton of sense. But if you keep pushing when it's hard, and then it all of a sudden it'll get easy. I mean, look at the housing market. Like if you push through to like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you got to you could have made a ton of money if you pushed through it and kept investing to 2014, 2015, you looked like a genius, but if you quit, then you would have lost all those funds. Right. God. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's, it's amazing how many people quit. It's, you know, just stealing your nerves and having the constitution to stick through something like a a, a market downturn is it's so difficult. I'm kind of experiencing one now. And uh, it's really easy to sit back on your on your thumbs and just be like, you know what, it's just not a good time. And when you quit, you quit. That's it. It's over, right? So yeah. that's, that's that's a really good point. It's never quit. All right, what a great segue. And I, I know you've been in real estate for. I know you're a real estate broker, anyways. Mm-hmm. Do you own any real estate properties now, or are you investing? I currently do not. I've been attempting for the last year because I really would want. Ideally, I wanted to use the Burr method to be able to buy like a distressed property. In my area, I've been close to finalizing two different deals, but I have not been able to be successful. But then based on the price with the barrier for entry in my county or where we live, I thought maybe look outside of Oregon, outside of Lynn County to find something better and more affordable. Barrier for entry is a lot less. And that's kind of been my next play. Gotcha. What was the failure on the, the two deals that you tried to get across the finish line? What was the part that, that held you up? Um, price price point was mostly the same thing. For the Price was for the first one. We had a distressed property with a woman who wanted to sell. She had a deceased husband. We put out a price point we were willing to sell or we were willing to buy at. And then we had, a, had an agreement. She called us back three days later, refused to sign the contract, needed more she asked for another $90,000 on top of our $300,000 offer. She thought it was worth more. And then we just couldn't never come to terms after that. And then it kind of just fell apart. And then the second one we were pretty close on was we were going to use an FHA loan and move into the property and owner occupy. But it turned out the FHA loan would not accept it based on I want to say the last five years of market rent accepted from the property. Therefore it did not pass self-sufficiency. So it cannot be used gotcha. as an FHA loan. And we ran into that issue twice. Gotcha. So Oregon is so, challenging. Oregon is very Oregon. challenging. Yeah. 
Trevor, when when was the um, the first instance? What, the first one was last what, August. What period was that? So about. Dang, I wonder how she feels about not taking uh, it. Now. I think it ended up. It Did took she her. Sell? She it actually the property just closed last month. I want to say so she had to hold the property for another nine months before selling. But I think she got a little more than we would have offered her for it. But I mean, nine months of holding. Did she get ninety yeah. grand more? So she just didn't feel comfortable <laughs> with it. She also just didn't really have any idea what price was or what. It was more of like a sentimental thing to her. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for her to get over that. Those are tough deals to get. But the sentimental piece of it will kill more deals than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Especially so, with that's the age group that she was in. So. So what kind of what kind of uh, I guess research have you done as far as looking outside? Because one of the the, the main thing we're going to talk about today is how to identify a market. Mm-hmm. So as far as education is concerned, have you been doing any research into what type of stuff you you should be looking for? Um, very vaguely so far out of state. I just started looking into it. I would say in the last month because I just didn't have any idea where to go. I didn't know how laws would change, how different counties would affect things. Would you choose? short-term, long-term, mid-term, what is the best approach to buying out of state, how to hire a property management company to manage this for you. This a lot of questions I didn't know the answers to yet. Yeah, I hear you. Um, okay, well, I, I think, you know, John, if you're ready, let's we can jump into some, some Q&A stuff, some specifics. Let's go for it, yeah. yeah. So um, I guess, so I won't be asking you the questions. We'll kind of turn it around and, and let you ask some questions, some things that are, that are on your mind about how to identify market, Trevor. Okay. Um, first one I was right at the top would be how to choose which state to pursue. Yeah. So that, that's a question I get on a regular basis. And it was a question that when, when I was first shopping out of state, out of Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, which was back in 2017, I didn't have the resources to, to be able to find this. And so I was just guessing, you yeah. know, and, and my first thought was, okay, well, I'm going to look at where I know. So that's what I've heard a lot in real estate circles is invest where, you know, Absolutely. and where I happened to know was where I came from, which was Missouri. I was raised in Missouri and I couldn't find anything. I was raised in Southwest Missouri, specifically Springfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I know the area. Still have friends and family there, so it just makes sense to focus in that area and see if I can find something. So I started looking around, couldn't find anything, and I started having the same questions like, okay, well, I've expanded. It's literally the only other state where I know anybody or know any areas, so mm-hmm. now what do I do? I can't find anything where I, where I came from, so what do I do? So I started doing a little bit more research, and about that time is when Oregon started to introduce things like rent control, and I already had some assets here in Oregon. And uh, I suddenly was finding it impossible to keep my, my properties at market rents or get out bad tenants because now they could just refuse to leave. Yeah. You know, 90, 90 day evictions, squatters rights, those things are just makes it really difficult and people will exploit the system Absolutely. if they know it. It's amazing how many tenants will become, you know, practical <laughs> real estate lawyers by the time, you know, these types of bills are introduced. It makes it very difficult. Um, I started noticing the trend was in blue states. We're starting to see a lot of these types of things in in democratic states. Not, and I'm not a political person, so mm-hmm. I, I couldn't care less about Democrat or Republican or anything like that. I'm just I care more about what my, you know, my the way that my business runs. So I started realizing that red states were a lot more land, landlord friendly, mm-hmm. and I didn't really care which ones. I just wanted to try to get in the market. I was just chomping at the bit, right? 
So I, I figured, all right, well, I'm in Missouri now looking around, can't find anything. So what's around it? You know, we're in the Midwest slash South. So maybe something around in the South would be, would make a lot of sense. And I just moved South to, to Arkansas was the first one I started looking at. That's and I started looking at what they're, what's that? Arkansas is literally the first place I started looking this month. Yep. Arkansas is, is where the vast majority of my portfolio is today. And for a lot of really good reasons, mm-hmm. the tax structure is great. It's a red state. Mm-hmm. Landlord laws uh, favor the landlord a lot more than they do the tenant. Now, I, I kind of hesitate to talk about this stuff because a lot of people want to hit the cancel button on me, right? Like, oh my gosh, this mean landlord wants to evict people. That's not the case. Without a tenant, I have no business. Mm-hmm. So why in the world would I want to evict a, a tenant, right? Unless they were a bad tenant, I need the ability to get them out. Because I still have things like mortgages, taxes, insurance, utilities, and things that I have to pay. And if that person's not paying, I need them gone so that I can cover my base. Um, Arkansas is the way is the the direction that I started going, and they reassess taxes every five years. Not at the not at the time of sale. Not at um, you know not on a yearly basis like a lot of states do. So if you buy something, you can actually underwrite it to the taxes that that are listed, depending on when that that five-year period ends, which really, really helps on your underwriting. It gives you a chance to, to prepare for things like increased expenses because when taxes, you know, taxes don't go down most of the time, except for 2008, you know, you can kind of get a, a pretty good game plan together. So um, red states uh, would definitely be my focus mm-hmm. uh, to begin with. Something in the South, um, I really like the Carolinas. They're super hot right now. Uh, obviously, Florida and Texas are at the top of every investor's list, so you're going to have a lot of competition there. Yeah. I, feel, I really feel like even today, even I've been investing there for five or six years, and it, there's 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 competition, but it's not people aren't chomping at the bit to get into Arkansas. No. I don't know why. You know, I've built my entire business on Arkansas, and I, I support my entire lifestyle based on on the rents that come out of my my assets there. So I, I feel like it's. I don't know. I feel like it's a really good, a really good start. Okay. I like that. Did, did I answer your question? Yeah, I, very I, much I so. I mean, a lot of things okay. that I've been reading was direct myself towards red states, strictly due to yes. tenant laws and landlord laws. And just the cash on cash return that I was seeing based on the numbers or what you're able to charge in rent for the overall cost of an asset was much more agreeable than anything I was looking at in Oregon. Like it was not close. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a blanket statement out there and this, this doesn't really apply a hundred percent, but it does apply to a lot. When you go into red States, a lot of times they end up being cash flow markets mm-hmm. and cash flow markets is what you're talking about with the lower barrier of entry. T- typically they're cheaper properties. Yep. So, but your rents are, they're also lower, but they're, they're not significantly lower. For example, a, a nice class a uh, apartment building, two bedroom, one bath, depending on square footage is going to run you somewhere around a thousand to you know, 1100, um, over here in Oregon, that's, you know, 1600, 1400, somewhere in that range. So they're not, it's not a huge difference, but the the price point is way, way less in Arkansas for that same asset as if it had been built over here in Oregon. That being said, when you get a cash flow market, you don't get as much appreciation. So your appreciation rate in a cash flow market like Arkansas is three to 5% per year in a normal year. You can't compare the last two years because everything went up by 20%. Yeah. You know, but uh, typically, typically it's three to 5%. In Oregon, you're getting five to 10%, sometimes more. So, but you don't cash flow as well here. You know, your, your barrier of entry is so much higher. Your, your purchase price is so much higher that uh, you're just not going to make as much, but people will bank on appreciation in Oregon, which 2008 taught us that that's not something you should be banking on. Cash flow is what creates 
long-term stability. Appreciation definitely contributes to creating wealth. That'll that'll make your balance sheet look really nice. Mm-hmm. But um, in in those in those red states, you know, you're you're not going to get as much property appreciation. Okay, that's good to know. And in term in terms of taking that um, that view, like oh, I'm going to go Arkansas, right? Is there anything now? Anything kind of you you position as a metric or or something you you'd consider that in retrospect you would have ruled out other states, but it was kind of stuff you didn't didn't know yet. As in, I guess, kind of repeat the question a little bit. What What do you mean? Give me, give me... Well, I guess I'm thinking about. For me, I'm looking at. I'm, I'm in a similar position to Trevor, which is where do I want to buy a big apartment building with opportunity to value add? And one of the things that puts me off Texas is how they manage taxes there. Yes, it's kind of a huge unknown quantity. Uh, a year ago, I may not have known that. I'd have been like, "Oh, red red state's good. Right. I'll just go in there." And Texas is great, and and that kind of stuff. I wondered if you kind of maybe it's the other way, and you ruled out some markets based on the factors like that. Were, were there any other factors you kind of considered? actually? Yeah, insurance is one of them. Uh, taxes is definitely one of the biggest ones, just because they're they're all over the place, and the way that that, that states assess taxes are different state to state. Insurance has been. It's been a hell of a ride here for the last couple of years. Arkansas, for example, has had like four major tornadoes, which has wiped out a lot of central Arkansas and northeast Arkansas, which I have a big portfolio in northeast Arkansas. And um, it it literally increased my insurance premiums on a year over year basis by 30 percent. 30% 30% is a huge, huge jump. And that would, yeah, that will definitely hurt your cash flow to a, a very high degree. And unfortunately, I have to pass that along to my tenants. And because if I don't, then I can't cover the bills and I can't provide them a nice place to live. And I mean, we we have class B assets and, you know, I, I won't get into the different types of classes, but our, our properties are pretty nice and I want to keep them that way. And so, um, you know, they, they were all built within the last 20 years, give or take. And if, if I'm getting chipped away on my income from ta- taxes and insurance going up, which they have in Arkansas, then there's no choice but to raise rates to my, to my tenants. And that's all part of the, the whole inflation thing with everything becoming more expensive. You know, unfortunately, that, that ends up trickling down because we have to be able to, to keep the asset. So I'd say to answer your question, John, uh, taxes and insurance are a really big one. Um, the crime rates are interesting. You know, we, we talk about, you know, how do you identify the, the right market? And a lot of people will jump straight to crime. And that's very important. There's something really important to keep in mind when you're looking at crime rates. Crime rates are not citywide. Crime rates can be right down to a neighborhood. And there are plenty of resources online, city data. Um, I, I've drawn a blank on the rest of them, but all kinds of different places where you can look up crime rates. They'll actually pull up like a heat map where it talks about where the majority of these calls are generating. And you can stay out of that and still invest in that city and still cash flow and be very successful. Um, You don't want to buy in the ghetto class D or C minus properties, which are ghetto properties, you know, real low income type properties are practically falling down. They're, they're rough because usually the neighborhood's rough. So if you buy something thinking, Hey, I'm going to buy this, this class C property and fix it up really super nice and cash flow a lot of money and then sell it and make a lot of money. Eh, Problem is the place next door is run down. The place behind it is run down. You know, yeah, we, we have done that. And it, it, it's just, it's so difficult to try to change the, uh, the reputation of an entire neighborhood. So it's a lot better to find a bad property in a good neighborhood. And, uh, and you're going to be miles ahead by doing that. 
That makes absolute sense. House yeah. going to be worth as much as the one next door to it, really. So, well, and I mean, just a quick story. So, we bought a twelve-unit apartment complex in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we bought in Hot Springs because we were we were pretty new investors in out-of-state stuff. So we were like, okay, well, it's a growing market. You know, it's it's got double-digit growth decade over decade for the last fifty years. You know, so people are moving here. People want to be here. It's a tourist place. A lot of people go there on vacation. Um, you know, it's only got about 30,000 people in it, but the daily, during the summer, the daily population more than triples because everybody goes to these bathhouses and Hot Springs National Park. So we're like, man, we can't miss, you know, this is going to be great. Yeah, it's got, it's got quite a bit of crime. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, when you compare it to the rest of the cities in Arkansas, it's kind of right in the middle. Um, but we were like, you know what, people are moving there for a reason. So let's do it. So we bought this 12 unit uh, complex and we, my wife flew out, walked through the property, said everything was pretty good. It was built in 2008. And uh, she's like, okay, let's do it. Well, we closed. And the first, I think two weeks later, we had our first shooting. And we were like, oh, shit, a shooting? Are you kidding me? You know, we never dealt with anything like a shooting before. And we started, you know, kind of talking to uh, talking to the property manager. And she was like, yeah, the shooting happened because the person who lives in the house next door didn't like the, the person who's on the other side of your property. Uh, their dogs kept getting out. And so they ended up meeting in the parking lot of your apartment complex and had a shootout. And I'm like, holy crap, are you kidding me? Like they make movies about this kind of stuff, right? Um, so all that to say, we bought a crap or a nice property in a crappy area instead of a crappy property in a nice area. Uh, we were able to turn everything around. We got the riffraff out of the apartment complex and then things started to gentrify around it. And people appreciated us for that because we were that first shining star in the neighborhood that made everybody else want to fix up their property. So there is that. I would not say that that's something that happens on a regular basis ever since that was the only property that we really bought in the ghetto and uh, we don't regret it, but it was a really long road to stabilize it when we could have just skipped all of that. If we just bought a nicer, nicer neighborhood. Makes total sense. So that goes, that goes on to the, I guess the next piece, which is um, drilling down into cities and areas. The the tip is right by a, by a crappy place in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, I, especially because, okay. I mean, okay, we talked about, or Trevor, you talked about the Burr method, mm -hmm. and the Burr method is is awesome, and the, th the fact of the matter is, is you can Burr apartment complexes. It's just a bigger house, right? Yeah. So that's what we do, and uh, it's just, we, we, you know, we buy them, we, we rehab them, we refinance, or we rent them, we refinance them, and we try to repeat, and we've done that on three apartment complexes now, including this one, so it's... And it worked out wonderfully. We don't have any money in any of our apartment complexes right now. We refinanced everything out and have been shopping for, for more of this uh, all along. So um, there's all kinds of different things that you can do uh, to, to try to see if the, the city is in the neighborhood, to see if the neighborhood's good. Um, one, one thing I would recommend. So if you're, if you're trying to stay out of these crime-ridden areas... Mm -hmm. Let's say we're looking in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you find an apartment complex. You're over here in Oregon. You know you don't know any better if this place is a good place to invest or not in this neighborhood. Figure out what's close. You know sometimes these apartment complexes will be close to some kind of commercial building, whether it's a market, a bank, um, a grocery store, or something like that. Call that place. Call them and say, okay, hey, and be honest with them. You know you're not trying to be. Um, you know, shady about any of this stuff. Just say, okay, hey, Mr. Banker, um, my name is Trevor and I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking at buying a place that's just down the road and it's about one block away from you, but I don't know the area. I'm from out of state. 
I'm hoping that you can give me some kind of an idea of what this neighborhood is like. Is there a lot of foot traffic? Do you see cops arresting people out on the, out on the sidewalk on a regular basis? And that person doesn't give a crap. You know, they'll be completely honest with you. Yeah. They'll be like, okay, yeah, this place sucks. I don't go outside. I, you know, we have to walk in pairs out to our cars whenever our shift ends. You know, they'll, they'll be honest with you about that kind of stuff. And it's a, it's a really good way to be able to underwrite that neighborhood, not just the market. That's a good point. I mean, I'm a frequent listener to uh, Bigger Pockets. I'm a big fan. And one of the big key terms I took to heart was uh, one of the main investors on there said he'd only buy property within two miles of any Starbucks. And that kind of, that's that an kind of plays thought. into the fact of what you just said. It's like, what's the surrounding area like? And Starbucks has an algorithm right. to where they build new places based on foot traffic, prime rate, and average income. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really good thought. The average income thing is an important one as well. And <clears throat> excuse me, it really does come down to what kind of asset it is that you want to invest in. Um, if you look at average income in Arkansas, it's going to be between twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. So it's pretty it's pretty low yeah. from you know say West Coast standards where the average income is fifty to seventy thousand dollars. It's like half, yeah. you know. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be super low. Um, but it, it also depends if you're looking for Class C properties. These are going to be working class properties. Mm -hmm. So, or working class tenants, I mean. So these are going to be the people that work at the grocery stores, that work at the gas stations, you know, that unless you're looking for a class A or a class B property, then these are the managers of all of those places, yeah. right? And they're going to be able to pay a lot more. So again, it's a lot of the, a lot of times, and I'm not, I'm not knocking on bigger pockets by any means, because I'm a listener as well, but they, they won't drill down into the specifics of these things. They just blanket these things like, okay, well, Arkansas as a whole has an average income of five or $50,000 a year. So you're not going to get more than $600 a month rent. Well, it's just, it's just not, the, it's not the case. When you look at a market, you really have to be able to drill down to a specific neighborhood based on a property that you're looking at. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, can you talk us through that process on how to drill down and maybe the tools you use to, to kind of get the data? Yeah. So um, I'll give you, I'll give you one tool and, and it's one of my favorite tools and I use it regularly. If, if you're shopping a new market and you don't have your eye on anything. Um, there is a, a report they're not paying me to say this, um, but it's the Milken Institute report. I've talked about it on here before M I L K E N Milken Institute report. And they usually, I think they may have just released one either in April or May or April or yeah, maybe March or April of this year, but they release them every year. And this is the, the emerging markets report, <clears throat> excuse me. They, uh, they drill everything down from, um, employment opportunities to income, and they, they will rank the top 300 cities in the United States. And I, I look for my properties on there, my, my, my markets on there to see whether or not, you know, I'm, am I investing in the right thing? Am I looking at the right metrics? And I kind of compare what I've done. But on the flip side, for somebody who hasn't invested yet, mm -hmm. it's a pretty good starting point. Okay. And you'll see on there, you know, Wichita, Kansas is one um, that a lot of people aren't looking at. But Wichita, Kansas is already a big city. And it has been in the dumps, kind of like Detroit for decades. And all of a sudden, in the last 10 years, they've been, you know, the city has been investing in their infrastructure and starting to bring in more businesses. And now the downtown core is struggling to be able to house all of these people, which is driving up prices and bringing in more investors. All of a sudden, bam, they showed up on the Milken Institute report as an emerging market. So uh, that's a really good uh, resource to, to look just to get a start. Okay. Um, let's say that we let's let's keep on the Wichita bandwagon here. So 
if I want to invest in Wichita, I like to look at historical numbers. It doesn't help you for future stuff, so don't rely on this entirely, but it's, it's a really good data point to know. Um, I want to know what it's been like as far as growth is concerned. So there's a lot of really easy Google searches that you can do to, to find these types of data points. One of them that I use is just uh, Wikipedia because they draw from the U.S. Census Bureau. So you can go Wikipedia, um, Wichita, Kansas, and scroll down and it says demographics. Click on that demographics tab and it'll bring up a table and the table will say population in 1870 and 1880, 1890. And it'll come all the way up to present day and it'll, t- and it'll show you percentage wise how much the population in these places have been growing, which is, it's a, like I said, a good data point to know. Um, but it, it doesn't help you to know the future. It, you, you've really got to look at what this place is wanting to do in the future, like what types of industries are coming, what type of industries have left. Um, I, I really kind of struggle to go up to, you know, the north, like the Dakotas, Wyoming, those areas, because those ones are specific to a certain commodity, specifically oil. Yeah. Um, those markets can look really good on paper. Like, uh, I think I looked at Gillette, Wyoming one time, we actually wrote an offer on a quadplex there and, um, and it was full whenever we wrote the offer. And by the time we got done with our inspections, three out of the four people had moved out. And I'm like, what the heck happened here? Why is everybody moving out of here? They're like, oh, they just closed down the the, the mine or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and, and so essentially what ended up happening is everybody moved away. So that when, when you have an, a, a local economy that is dependent on one thing like coal or, or oil, um, that's, that's asking for trouble because you're at the mercy of the market at that point, just that one tiny piece of the market. Sorry, that was kind of a side tangent, but um, yeah. So looking at all the different data pieces are, are super important. You know, the, the crime, the, the neighborhoods, um, talking to the, the, the local, you know, businesses. And do you, do you have a formula? Do you pump it into a spreadsheet or is it just kind of Kyle's algorithm <laughs> for, for finding markets? No, I don't, I don't. It, it's mostly just, it's mostly just those things that I've, that I've learned over the years for how to find these things. Um, call the police departments too. They're, they're more than happy to talk to you about this kind of stuff. You know, they, they're like, Oh, boy, you better clear your schedule. I'm going to tell you all about, you know, Campbell street over here. And uh, they're a really good resource to have uh, property managers are an even better one because interesting mm-hmm. thing about property managers is they will be so honest with you because they don't want to manage shitty properties. Uh, it's, it's just a headache for them. You know, everybody, I think they've almost garnered this reputation that they, they will do anything they can to get to sign up more properties so they can make more money on a monthly basis. But these are the people that are in the trenches with your tenants mm-hmm. trying to deal with all the repairs, the eviction stuff. They don't want to manage these crappy places. So they'll, they'll be like, Oh God, please don't buy this place. Cause I don't want, I had that. I had that very situation. Yeah. I was, I, I went and spoke to a property manager. I got a property lined up for seller financing. It wasn't worth very much. Um, and that was, so I was on the fence. I spoke to the property manager and they're like, yeah, we don't go west of whatever Eighth yeah. Street or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, nobody drives <laughs> through there after dark. He's like, yeah, he said I could probably find you someone would that would manage it, but we wouldn't manage it. I'm like, okay, good, good yeah. to know. And those are good people. <laughs> when when you get when you find somebody that's that honest, I would definitely keep that person in the front of your mind for when you do find something. And because uh, I have ran across property managers who've been like, oh, it's great. It's it's getting better. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't give a crap if it's getting better. If it's bad now, that means I'm the one that has to fix it. And I don't want to do that. And they don't want to do that. So 
find the honest property managers, the ones that are, that are really trying to make a difference in your business, because that is the most important person on your team. hundred percent. Property manager. And, you know, I guess if we can keep on the property management piece, this is something I can get on a soapbox about, but I won't right now. When it comes to property management, people in this industry, real estate investors are constantly wanting to knock down people's prices. Like they'll come out and they'll say, all right, this is going to be, you know, this 10 unit apartment complex is going to be 10% for me to manage it. I would definitely ask why. And the things that I would negotiate out of that type of a contract would be like leasing fees. Um, I'm going to keep half of your pet rent. You know, there's a lot of things that they'll put in their contracts that you got to be careful of because they will nickel and dime you. But when it comes to the monthly, excuse me, the monthly rent or the monthly fee for managing your properties, if you negotiate, if you try to negotiate down to six, 7% on an apartment complex, which a lot of people try to do, you're going to negotiate yourself into a lesser service. Sure. If they're not making as much money on your place and, and they, they feel like you're, you know, you're looking at them as just another data point on your spreadsheet, they're not, you're going to be one of the last people who has their properties filled. And I hate to say it that way, but it is reality. Um, it, make sure you take care of the most important person on your team, that property manager, and, and they need to make money too. You know, they're literally the ones running your property for you while you're far away. You want them to be happy. So, Absolutely. Makes sense. All right. What else you got? Like that leads into my other question is how to choose the correct one. And I think you definitely hit the nail on the head with that as the one who's going to be the most brutally honest with you. Yeah, I've got, uh, I can run through this stuff. Let me see if I can open it on my computer while we're sitting here talking. Um, I've got, I've put, I've been putting this together for like, gosh, I would say 10 years now, which is, it's just a big, long list of questions to ask property managers whenever you're trying to find one. Do you mind if I share it with you? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, you don't have to take notes because this is being recorded, but uh, you can, if you, if you go <laughs> back and, and listen to this over again, then um, these, are, these are things that I've found when I talk to a property manager that are super important to ask, okay. because if you don't, you're going to be surprised later or really upset. Uh, these things need to be clarified from the beginning before you sign on that dotted line with them for your property management agreement. Uh, one of the most important thing, I guess, number one, uh, the most important things for me is, do you have an owner or slash tenant online portal? I want to be able to log on and see what my, how my properties are doing without wondering, you know, I don't, I don't typically do it except once a month when I do my own uh, spreadsheets mm-hmm. here in the office, but um, I want to know how my properties are doing. I don't want to have to make an appointment and wait for a phone call all day long. And then, you know what I mean? So I want to know that I have an online portal where I can see how my, how my properties are doing. I can access all of my old owner statements too, especially if I'm trying to get a new loan, they're going to ask for things like P and L's or T, a T12, a trailing 12 months of expenses. Um, my bookkeeper keeps all that stuff, but it, she builds that off of all of my owner statements. So that's number one. Okay. Um, I want to know how they handle repairs and do they submit them through the portal? Like the tenant, for example, does the tenant log on and say, you know, type into their little thing and say, I need to fix, I need this to be fixed because then I can look and see if things are getting fixed in a timely manner. It's, it's really difficult to manage your manager when you don't have any oversight as to how they're running the business. Yeah. You're just being in the sense? dark all the time. So in the dark all the time. And we've played that game. It sucks. Especially when you get a phone call at six o'clock in the evening and they're like, yeah, we just finished replacing that $5,000 HVAC. And you're like, excuse me, what $5,000 HVAC, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it does happen. So, um, I want to know how long it takes or how, how far, uh, 
in between property inspections. So your your property manager should be doing a walkthrough at least every six months. Uh, mine do them quarterly. This stops things like finding hoarders, people that are really dirty, moving people in there that are just, you know, a lot of nine and a half out of 10 times, the issue with bugs comes from, from dirty tenants. Okay. And we've got that in our lease that they're going to keep a nice and tidy place so that it doesn't create a bigger issue down the road. Um, and if they become the issue, then they become the one that pays for the issue. So that's, that, that kind of goes into the lease part of this. But um, I want to know how big this company is. You know, if I'm going to bring them 60 units in an apartment complex, how many, what kind of experience do you actually have in managing this size of an asset? Oh, well, I've got uh, seven single family homes and a duplex that I manage right now. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have the infrastructure and the, the personnel to be able to handle all these well, things. So that's a really important question to ask. How long do you, do you have, uh, how long do you take to get a, a make rent ready? done, which is when somebody moves out to get the property ready for the next tenant. Sure, that's that's the next question you need to ask that person. Cause if they're like, Oh, we can get it done in a week. Sounds great. If they say, Oh, it's usually about 30 days. That's a problem right. because that's, that's, that means not only do you have cleaning fees, but now you just lost a month's rent. Yeah. So um, let's see, I'll, I'll try to just hit the super important ones here. Do you have on, on staff contractors and maintenance? That's another big piece that you want to ask. Oh, I guess in-house um, or out-of-house repair. In-house or out-of-house. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's an important piece because that'll help you realize just how quickly they can get to things. Um, and that's that's subjective. Even if they have them on staff, doesn't mean they're going to get to it right away, but sometimes it helps. Yeah. How do you advertise? I have run into this a hundred different times, especially when things are slow, which they haven't been in the last two years. We've been spoiled. Um, you know, Our vacancy or our occupancy rates have been 95 to 100% for the last two years, which is pretty much the story across the country. But uh, when it slows down, I want to know how it is that they're finding more tenants. If they're just throwing them up on apartments.com and just hope, keeping their fingers crossed, that's not good enough. I want to know that they're actually out there beating the brush, trying to drum up some business for me. Okay. Um, application fees is a really big one. Some of these some of these places will charge like $70 for an application. For somebody who only makes you know $2,000 a month, that's a lot of money. Absolutely. And that will actually prevent them from even being able to look at the property, even if they, even if they qualify for the monthly rent. So, you know, I, I want a realistic number because I don't want my manager trying to make a whole bunch of money off of tenants just trying to look at the property. So we've run into that issue before where I've, I've had to tell them, look, you need to lower your fees because nobody's looking at this property because you're making them fill out this application first. Yeah. And it, it forces prioritization, right, of potential tenants. Yes, absolutely. So you might miss out on good tenants because, hey, they've applied to two places. They can't afford to apply for, to a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and on most <laughs> tenants are looking at more than one place. Yeah. That gets really super expensive. And I, I found a really great manager who will have them fill out, you know, one application and then they can show them anything in the area. So that, that's, that has helped a lot because they, they show them all, any, any vacant properties I have, we've, we've got that covered. So. Um, how often do we get statements? You need at least a monthly owner statement. You need to know how these things are performing. Otherwise, you don't know if you're in the green or the red. Okay. Um, you want to talk about utilities. Do they put them in their name? Or is this something you have to put in your own name and then they just facilitate the payments? You know, How does that kind of thing work? Uh, how do evictions work? Is that cost passed along to me? You know, and It's going to be different state by state, but uh, most of the time it's going to be passed along to the landlord for all those fees. What is the average eviction cost? Oh man, that's so so. That, that's that's a really difficult question to to answer. 
most I've done very few. And the reason why is because most of the time you can get them out. So, uh, you know, focusing on Arkansas again, Mm -hmm. the Arkansas is a three day eviction notice. So if they don't pay, so rent for us is due by the sixth, it's late by the 10th. And if we don't get it by, I think it's the 15th, they get a three day eviction notice. Now that doesn't mean that they have to move out in three days. Mm It, it's it's kind of a misnomer the, the way that that's worded. It's, it's a three day eviction notice is more of a threat than anything. If they refuse to move, we have to go to we have to go to court, and it typically takes about thirty days in order to do that, as opposed to the ninety days over here where yeah. we live, right? It's, yeah. So it's it's much quicker, but most of the time they leave. I've had very very. I think you know I've got over seventy units in Arkansas, and I think I've had two times in the last six years where I've actually had to take longer than 30 days. Oh, wow, that's really good. And the cost, yeah, and the, the cost is pretty affordable. You know, it's 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 under a thousand bucks most of the time. Okay. Um, oftentimes it's nothing because you can go up to the tenant and be like, look, I'll give you your deposit back. Just get out of my unit. And they'll be like, oh, great. Sounds yeah. great. And they're gone. Well, you know, well, it's that fast. It's, it's kind of a cash for keys type of a thing. Are you familiar with cash for keys? I'm not, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it, when you think about the cost of evictions, you know, they, cause thousand bucks is not unheard of. And even more than that, if you've got attorney fees and stuff like that, it can go up significantly if they're just squatting. If you just walk up to them and offer them some money, most of these people are willing to take it to get out. And then you can, you know, if, if they're really big pieces of crap, you can report it on their credit and, and you know, that's it. You never see them again. Um, but most of the time, they're pretty reasonable with that sort of thing. If you if you offer them the money to get out, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah. So, anyways, that's that's kind of the. There's like thirty of them on here, but I'm we don't have enough recording time for me to go through all that stuff. <laughs> that's they're, they're really good questions. I think um, you know vetting your vetting your team. We've we've been through it with the Airbnb piece, um, but vetting a property manager is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you're, you're right. It's not something you want to, it's like a cleaner with Airbnb. You don't want to cheap out on them. Yeah. It, um, they, they, they're so important on your team that it, it, it's, it's, this is, this is the person that will be your main contact because you're never going to talk to your tenants. There's, you don't want to talk to your tenants. You want that piece of anonymity between you and your tenants so that they are the ones that are getting the angry phone calls and dealing with the, all the issues. And so you, you need to make sure you pick that right person that, that you jive with. Okay. It's super important. I guess that kind of leads into my other question was, do you ever choose to use a realtor in these other states to show you property or find you properties? And how do you choose a realtor? Great question. Yes. I use realtors on a regular basis. I like realtors. Um, it's a, it's a love hate relationship sometimes because, uh, I also like off market properties, which don't typically come with realtors. Sometimes it does. Commercial brokers still work with off market properties. Mm -hmm. Uh, gosh, this is a conversation that could go on for a long time too, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, I, let's see, my 12 unit in, in uh, Hot Springs was purchased through a realtor. It was an on-market property, just listed on the local MLS. It wasn't put on anything like LoopNet, which is a commercial site, or Crexy or any of those. It was just listed on the MLS, okay. which was amazing because nobody that was, none of the investors that shopped the commercial sites, which and commercial is five units and larger. Anything bigger than five units is considered a commercial property. Right. So usually those end up on LoopNet and Crexy and, and those, those commercial sites. This was just on the multiple listing. I found it, purchased it through the realtor. It was an awful experience. The realtor had no, the person I picked, the only reason I picked him was because they were a realtor and an attorney at the same time. 
And he kind of, he talked me into using me. He's like, look, I'm an attorney. You know, what could possibly go wrong? You know, I'm going to get all the paperwork right. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. This guy had no idea what he was doing. And I ended up essentially leading the entire transaction asking him, okay, did you open escrow or did they open escrow? You know, there was no updates. I guess the most important thing, how do you, is how you pick the right, the right realtor. And that's, that's the right question. Um, when you, when you talk to a realtor, you need to ask them what their experience is working with investors, because we are a pain in the ass to work with. (laughs) I mean, I'll say that, right. We ask so many questions and we require so many different pieces of documentation to look at properties like rent rolls and T12s. They got to know what these things are. And if they don't, and you have to explain it to them, that's the wrong realtor. You want to find out how long they've been in the business and how many, you know, you don't need to know like, okay, how many, how many deals have you closed? That, that kind of thing's not as important as just knowing that they have the knowledge of this type of asset because that person should be looking for everything you're not thinking about, not the other way around. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. So just look for an investor's agent of some kind who's very familiar with commercial properties and how they work, cap rates, like I already said, the rent roll and the T12. Uh, how to underwrite these deals because they should be helping you with that. And you want to know somebody who knows things about, you know, taxes and insurance in their local markets and how those things are assessed and reassessed whenever reassessment comes up. Okay. Makes a ton of sense. So I'm going to lean a little bit to my um, previous question. Hit me. Knowing what you know now and when you first bought that first property, What's the kind of difference? What's the what's the rules of thumb that you've that you've adapted or changed? So I have let's say I'm going to a new market and I've I don't have a whole lot of relationships in this new market, but I know I, I love the market and the market is it, it checks all of my boxes and I know that there's a lot of properties there that make sense. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is reach out to a, a real estate broker who can tell me what where are we going here, you know. And, and brokers are not the be all end all of that sort of a question either. You can call, you know, chamber of commerce and uh, any, any type of big movers and shakers in the local community and ask them, okay, well, what, what kind of stuff's coming in here? Is there a new industry coming in? Uh, do you feel like this is a growing market? Even though the data points say that it is, does it feel like that? Or are there rumors that, you know, different manufacturing plants are about to close down? Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to find somebody who knows pretty much as much as can possibly know about that local market. And that's going to be the person that I'm going to look for now, instead of just saying, you know, on, cause when you look at people's bios online, let's say that, you know, you have bigger pockets and you look at, okay, bigger pocket affiliated realtors, that means nothing if they just paid that fee to get that little, that little acronym next to their name. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. So I want to, I want them to prove it, that they know what they're doing so that I have my professional or my expert on that market is the person that's representing me in the transaction. And I didn't used to do that. I used to just look for, okay, commercial real estate broker and whatever came up, that's the first person I called. And that's who I would have write the offer for me if it was on market. Um, that, that's what I would do. And I, I do a lot better job of trying to find the right representative now. So uh, one of the things that I've actually kind of pivoted to also is if I'm going to a new market and I don't have a realtor relationship is I will call the listing broker of this apartment complex and I'll ask him a million questions. I'll be like, I'll say, I'm an unrepresented real estate investor. I'm interested in buying your property and I don't have a realtor. And a lot of times dollar signs will pop up in their eyes because now they get to both, you know, you get to double in this commission here and if they can represent both sides and if they, and, and I'm, What's some that? states that's legal, some of it isn't. You're exactly Oregon, right. Arkansas is totally legal. 
Yeah, some some of them some of them they won't let you do that, but dual agency in some of these states they they'll make a lot of money doing that, and they they prefer to do that, and I, and I am perfectly fine with them doing that. The reason is because I, I I know what I'm doing, so I can I can see I can see the the storm clouds on the horizon if there's a problem or if you know something is going to pop up that could be detrimental to me. Uh, I can catch that because when you're doing a dual agency, you're typically just a, a middleman. You can't t- you can't really lean one way or the other because now you're violating one agency over the other yeah. one. So, and that's why it's illegal in some states is because some people can't figure out how to separate it. Yeah. Right? Um, Arkansas is not that way. Uh, I have had agents double end it, and if they'll do that, I use that as a bargaining chip for a lower price because now if I put in a low wall offer, that agent will go back because they want to close this deal. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? They're they're going to close this deal. They're going to get a bit. Yeah, they're going to go back and be like, well, we haven't gotten the other offers. You know, this is a very qualified buyer. You know, we might be able to make this. Ha- Sorry, I don't mean to make a realtor sound like an idiot. They're not idiots by any means. But, but you know, that's just that's typically the way that it ends up working. So I, I like using listing agents. And then if if they did a great job, I'll use them as a buyer's agent on future properties, too. And you kind of create some some relationships that way. Trevor, do you have any further questions? And I think I'm going to, I'm going to say we need a follow-up on you found your market. Now let's look at the property. So I think we have a round two, Trevor, if okay, you're game yeah. for it. I can see like a series going with Trevor because I want him to come back on and talk about this collectibles market. Now I've got like, yeah. And that's the other, yeah, one, I've, I've got fair. the wide eye thing super going excited. here because this is something that I know nothing about. Yeah. Pivot. yeah. So maybe a Q and a <laughs> where we turn it around and Trevor gets to answer all the questions. That'd be good. It's one. pretty fun. Anytime you're interested, Kyle, you can come watch. At, are, do you still have the, the place here in town? Is that still yours? I don't. I don't. I mean, it just got overhead. It was way too expensive. And with how everything is online, you can sell everything out of your house for no overhead, way less employee gotcha. cost. It's way less headache. And you make the same amount of money. <laughs> nice. There you go. So we're going to wrap. This is super unclean finish to the show. We're going to wrap, but we're going to be back with round two awesome. of this conversation. You found your market. You like it. You think you found mm-hmm. your realtor. You, yeah, you're indifferent about a realtor. Let's be real. <laughs> um, and you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And you found your your person to ma- help you manage. So what next? How do you look at a deal? How do you look at a property from out of state? Um, Trevor, we're going to be back with you. Uh, in a week or so, uh, and and thanks awesome. for the questions. Well, I appreciate it. This is like production on the fly. Kyle. I know it's good. I'm just letting you. I'm just letting <laughs> you roll. This is awesome. <laughs> Amazing. And hey, if you're if you're listening to this and or watching this, we've started to put them onto YouTube. First of all, thank you for the five thousand watches on YouTube that we didn't even know oh. we had. Um, please go ahead and like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to us give us a a five-star review please um we kind of need all the help we can get and we're going to bring you more content like this it's so exciting to just kind of have these real conversations and uh, uh hopefully you got value out of it thank you very much trevor we appreciate you being here and we'll chat again here soon awesome thank you very much and we'll be back next week thank you for listening to the investories podcast we all have a story what's yours The Investories Podcast.